2: Not one, not two or three, but four armed professional law enforcement officers standing outside Stoneman Douglas High School in the moments after the massacre. John Berman here in for Anderson. By now, Scott Peterson, the Broward County deputy who was serving as a school resource officer. He's a household name. He stood by, did not go into the school and lost his job for it. Rightly or wrongly, the president of the United States has called him a coward. Now, the breaking news. He allegedly had company outside the school where a gunman took 17 lives. The very latest now from our Randy Kay.
3: While the gunman was inside Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School killing people at random, a trained Broward County Sheriff's deputy did nothing.
1: Devastated. Sick to my stomach. Um...
4: There are no words.
3: The Broward County Sheriff revealing the stunning news that one deputy, Scott Peterson, who was armed and in uniform, clearly knew there was an active shooter, but stayed in his position outside Building 12. The sheriff says video shows the deputy doing nothing for more than four minutes while the bullets flew inside. The shooting lasted about six minutes. Deputy Peterson has since resigned. When reporters asked what he should have done...
1: Went in. Address the killer. Killed the killer.
3: And new information tonight that Peterson wasn't the only sheriff's deputy who failed to act. Now, Coral Springs police sources tell CNN that three other Broward County sheriff's deputies also remained outside. Pistols drawn, but hiding behind their vehicles. It's unclear if the shooter was still there when they arrived, but not one of them had gone into the school. It was the Coral Springs officers who were the first to go in. Meanwhile, during the shooting, another key misstep. Turns out the surveillance video security teams were watching in hopes of locating the 19-year-old gunman in the school had been rewound. The 20-minute video delay led authorities to believe the gunman was still in the building, when in reality, he was long gone.
5: The delay does not, did never, it never put us in a situation where any kid's lives were in danger.
3: Long before the shooting, there were warning signs that went nowhere. Even the FBI missed a major red flag. CNN has reviewed a transcript from a January 5th call this year. A tipster close to the Parkland shooter warning the FBI that the teen was, quote, going to explode. The female tipster spoke of his social media posts about guns and his violence in school, saying she feared him getting into a school and just shooting the place up. The FBI has admitted that proper protocols weren't followed on a key tip about the suspect just weeks before the attack.
6: There was a mistake made. We know that. But it is our job to make sure that we do everything in our power to ensure that does not happen again.
3: Also, the Broward County Sheriff now revealing their office had received 18 calls related to the suspect over the past decade. In a 2016 call, officers got a tip that he planned to shoot up an unknown school. Police records show the responding deputy passed the information on to a school resource officer. In another call last November, police records show a caller warned the teen was collecting guns, suggesting he could be a school shooter in the making. Officers simply referred it to the Palm Beach Sheriff's Department for review. Also last year, a family in Palm Beach County alerted police that the suspect had put a gun up to someone's head. The suspect himself called 911 about the incident.
7: I kind of got mad and I started punching walls and stuff. And then a kid came at me and threw me on the
3: ground. Police responded and were told at the scene it had all been worked out.
2: Randy Kaye joins me now from Parkland, Florida. Randy, these details, these new details are so disturbing and it's not the end of it. What have you learned about social services looking into this suspect years ago?
3: John, we've learned that the Department of Children and Families here in Florida took a closer look at the suspect back in 2016. It was right after he and his girlfriend had broken up. And what they found was that he was cutting his arms uh, by himself. He was putting Nazi symbols on his backpack, and he had plans to purchase a gun. Yet despite all of this, they considered the fact they considered that he was a very low risk, despite all of those findings. And that was because he was living with his mother, he was going to school, he was getting treatment for his mental health issues apparently, so they considered him a very low risk. Meanwhile, John, just months after that DCF report was closed is when this suspect went out and bought this AR-15 style rifle that police say he used in this school massacre. So clearly, John, he was not a very low risk.
2: Randy Kay in Parkland, Florida. Randy, thanks so much. Joining us now, CNN law enforcement analyst, former Philadelphia Police Commissioner Charles Ramby. Chief, thanks so much for being with us. This new information that these Broward County sheriffs, three, in addition to the school resource officer, were outside the school, hadn't gone in. Does it make any sense to you?
6: Nope. It makes no sense at all. I mean, you can't just wait outside. We learned that lesson after Columbine. Now, the first officer on the scene, the school resource officer, he definitely should have gone in. There's no excuse for him not having gone in. And if what is uh, being said is true about the other three, there's no way they shouldn't have gone in. You have to go in and neutralize the threat as soon as possible. And even if you don't hear shots, you still don't know if the person is still in there. You have to clear the building. So you have to go in. There's just no other way to do it. And that's the key point there. You know, we don't know for sure whether these three arrived before or
2: after the shooter had left but even so to still be outside when there could be wounded people who need treating when the building does need to be cleared it's still a problem correct
6: yeah it is and plus you don't know if he's left the scene we know now because we have a lot more information but at the time you don't know that you have to clear the building period you have to tend to the wounded you have to do all these things you can't do it hiding behind your car and you brought up one of the key issues
2: here which is the protocol After Columbine, the protocol changed. Before that, it was secure the perimeter and wait. But now police are trained differently. Explain.
6: Well, they're trained differently because we learned that, you know, while we're waiting for SWAT, and God bless SWAT, they're very good at what they do, but it takes time for them to get there. In the meantime, these things are over fairly quickly. So we have to train our officers, and many departments have, I believe most departments have, uh, active shooter training where they're trained how to go in and be able to clear the building, neutralize the threat, save as many people as you possibly can. Um, I know the departments that I've worked in, that's Mm -hmm. ongoing training on a regular basis uh, that takes place.
2: Every department we've talked to says this is now the protocol, the training, the protocol now is to go in. That is what you are trained to do. That's why it's so troubling that it didn't appear to happen here. Now, whether on the local level or federal level, so many mistakes here. Gee, if you look at this, and it seemed that everyone was saying this guy could turn out to be a school shooter. The guy who everyone warned was going to be a school shooter Ended up shooting up a school.
6: Yeah. Well, you know, clearly the FBI dropped the ball with the tip line and the information that they received. There's absolutely no reason why that information was not sent out to the field office for follow up. The local authorities weren't noted. Something should have been done. That has to be explored to find out exactly what happened, why it happened, and make sure it never happens again. I mean, there should yeah. be supervisory oversight to make sure that these tips are being handled properly that didn't happen. Uh, clearly, there's uh, other people that, again, the warning signs were there, and they just failed to act. It's a tragedy all the way around. Commissioner
2: Ramsey, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it.
6: That's okay.
2: All right, let's get another take now on what could have been done better from someone who saw it from a perspective no one should have ever been in. Teacher Diane Woke rogers was there. Today, for the first time since 14 students and three colleagues were murdered, she and her fellow teachers returned to Stoneman Douglas. Wednesday night, you'll remember, she confronted the NRA spokeswoman, Dana Lash, at CNN's Town Hall. Listen.
8: I'm a history teacher. I asked my students to define terms for me. So I'd like you to define something for me, because I've wondered about it, and I want to know, what is your definition of a well-regulated militia, as stated in the Second Amendment and... Using supporting detail, explain to me how... Alex, let, me, let me finish. Let me finish. And using supporting detail, explain to me how an 18-year-old with a military rifle is well-regulated, and the world Our country, our nation, is going to grade your answer.
2: Ms. Rogers joins us now from Parkland, Florida. Thanks so much for being with us and continuing this discussion. One part of the discussion is certainly about guns. You were having that Wednesday night. The other part of the discussion is about the law enforcement response here. And when you hear about these officers that stayed outside, did not enter the school, what goes through your mind?
8: Well, I'll tell you, John. um, You know, I tell my students whenever they write an essay, and they have a point of view to make sure that they have done all the research before they put it out there. So, you know, I have been at work all day trying to get the class ready for our kids. So, you know, what I really want to address is I want to address Mr. Trump and his solution to that. And, first, what I want to say is, um, going around calling people who are mentally ill in our community psychos and lunatics, that's not going to solve the problem. That actually creates barriers, so that people that we want to seek that health aren't going to give it. So, for doing that, I wanted to give Mr. Trump and Dana, I want to give them a detention. Mm-hmm. And normally, that's name-calling, and I give my students one-week detention for name-calling, but because... Twenty-five percent of the Americans, at some time, are going to have mental health issues. I'm going to make it two weeks, and I want them to come after school and write letters of apologies to the people in America.
2: So, so, Ms. Rogers, as you say, the gun discussion, very much part of this right now. You brought up how the president's addressing mental health. We'll focus on one other thing he is addressing first, and I do want to come back to the law enforcement response. The president okay. suggesting okay. arming teachers, giving maybe 20 percent right. of, of you know, gun-adept teachers guns. Do you think that is a good idea?
8: Um, I'll tell you, it horrifies me. If, you're te- if what you're telling me is that we have trained professionals who weren't able to follow protocol, then I can imagine my teachers overworked, underpaid, exhausted. Um, carrying a side on, and then being able to fo- perform that, that protocol. And I also I want to talk about the white elephant in the room, because what we know is that uh, students of color get suspended and get expelled at a higher rate than white kids. So now, what are we going to say, Mr. Trump? We're going to say that now students of color are going to be shot at by teachers at a higher rate. It's absolutely ludicrous.
2: Governor Rick Orifies Scott, me. Governor Rick Scott of Florida, again, that's one of the president's proposals. Governor Rick Scott of Florida put forward some different proposals today, including raising the minimum age you can buy a firearm to 21, banning bump stocks, $450 million for student safety. Is this a good start from your governor?
8: Yes, yes, it is. And I want my students who are um, working so hard to, to, to um, and that never again to really um, provide real solutions to this problem. I want my students to know that this is a start. Yes, Governor Scott, it's a start, but it's only a start. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a revolution. My students are generals, and they're going to they're gonna carry this through. And just it's a, a start. Just to yes, circle
2: back is. to the law enforcement response and the number of missed signals there were in the way for years about this killer. Right up until the end, when I know you may not have heard about the, the reporting of the Broward County you know, deputies, these three new ones who were waiting outside, but, but the school resource officers who did not go in, do you feel like the system has served you well in this case?
8: Um, I think that the system, there's a lot of ways that we need to improve it, and we need to work together. We need to come together. We don't need to be finger-pointing. We need to take our money. We need to take our resources, and we just need to come to a solution. And and it really begins beginning with putting that money and and resources into mental health.
2: You went back inside the school. Wrapping those kids. You went back inside the school for the first time today. Yes, yes. What was that like? I can't imagine what that was like. Tell me about it.
8: Um... You know, I was really afraid. You know, I I told my students, I I, I blasted out an email that I was really afraid that I wasn't going to be ready for it. But the the county, the school board, they've provided so many resources um, for us that I really felt like I was wrapped in in a blanket of comfort. And I want my students to come back, and I want to share that with them. because. We're going to move forward, and we're going to heal together, and that's how I feel.
2: I understand you actually say this is one of the last times you're going to speak to the media because you want to put 100% of your focus going forward on your students. There's a voluntary orientation for them and parents on Sunday. What's your plan going forward?
8: Oh, absolutely I'm going to be there, and I've sent out an email to all my kids, and I said, please come by, you know, um, you know. I need to see all of you. You need to see me, and our hearts are broken, but we're we're gonna move forward. And you know, Stoneman Douglas is strong, and I hope you see that, and you know that we are we are going to get through this together. Right. we we're, we're reclaiming our school.
2: Diane Wilk Rogers, we do appreciate you speaking to us, you know over the last nine days up until tonight, and we wish you the best of luck going forward the students. Thank that
8: you, here. John. Thanks. Thank you, John.
2: I had a conversation with a Republican congressman from Florida who was severely wounded in combat and now supports a ban on assault weapons. But up next, breaking news in the Russia investigation, former Trump campaign aide Rick Gates, the deputy campaign chair, pleads guilty and new charges filed against Paul Manafort, the former campaign chair himself. Stay with us.
1: Visit Zenny today at zenni.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN.
2: More breaking news tonight. Special Counsel Robert Mueller has filed another series of criminal charges against former Trump campaign chair Paul Manafort. Today's indictment accuses Manafort of paying former European politicians to speak favorably on behalf of the Ukrainian government. Those politicians, the indictment alleges, posed as independent voices, but in reality were not. Manafort, the indictment, says used offshore accounts to pay the former politicians about two million euros. And this says major news. Manafort's associate, former Trump campaign aide, the deputy campaign chair, Rick Gates, entered guilty pleas for conspiracy to defraud the United States and making false statements. Joined now by John Dean, Gloria Borger, Jeffrey Tubin, Jeff, let's start with this Gates plea deal. You know, Gates, a big fish here. The deputy campaign chair, a major player in the campaign, pleading to things that didn't relate directly to the campaign. But again, this has got to be a bad night for Paul Manafort.
7: No, in fact, you know, Manafort did something unintentionally very revealing. When he issued a statement, he said, I continue to maintain our innocence. That shows how linked he is with Rick Gates, that he still speaks of them as a team. His problem is that Gates has now admitted that he was engaged in many interlock <coughs> excuse me interlocking conspiracies with with Manafort, tax fraud, campaign finance laws um, you know foreign foreign reporting laws all of those heavily documented are now admitted crimes on the part of Rick Gates, and it really makes. Manafort's situation pretty desperate. Right. I mean, you have the deputy
2: chair flipping. What can it mean for the chair? And Gloria Paul Manafort, though, seems like he's fighting.
5: Yeah. Well, uh, his lawyer indicates uh, that he is. Uh, Maybe he's fighting until he's not fighting anymore. You know, they have a they have a suit that they filed in federal court against the special counsel saying that in investigating all of his finances that predate the campaign that the special counsel is going beyond his jurisdiction. So uh, they may be banking on that and uh, hoping that the whole thing gets thrown out. But I agree with Jeffrey. I mean, I think, you know, the tax case is pretty black and white here. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where they go next other than to Donald Trump.
2: We'll talk about that in a second right there, Mm -hmm. because I think that's an interesting possibility. You know, John Dean, before we get there, look, Paul Manafort should be worried about Rick Gates. Should President Trump be worried about Paul Manafort?
9: Well, that's hard to know. He was certainly there at a key time in the ending days of the campaign. Uh, He worked for free, which is kind of interesting. Uh, And he also, as the indictment shows, uh, once he joined the campaign, started earning a lot more money or, or gathering a lot more money. So that suggests that uh, uh, there might be something going on below the surface that we don't know that he's well aware of. We also know that uh, certainly the special prosecutor wants him very badly. Uh, They're leaning on him with the full power of that office.
2: You know, Jeffrey, Gloria brought up this issue of the pardon. Right. I mean, Paul Manafort here legally seems to be in deep, deep trouble. As you say, these charges are very hard to mount a defense against. And now, Rick, Gate, you, Rick Gates, you have testifying against you, presumably. Should Manafort just throw all his chips on, on, on Donald Trump, the president,
7: maybe giving him a pardon? Uh, well, I mean, he, he can hope for a pardon. I, I, I think uh, at this point, um, you know, uh, it would be so politically incendiary it would—it looks so much like Trump was doing it to protect himself, not to protect Paul Manafort, that I think even Donald Trump, who doesn't fear the consequences of a lot of what he does, wouldn't take the risk... ...of uh, the backlash that, that he would get if he pardoned Paul Manafort at this point. And, and his White House has said all along, pardons are not under consideration.
2: I listen to you a lot on TV. You think it's inevitable at this point, <laughs> practically, that Paul Manafort
7: will cop a plea here. I don't see I do any too. way he can make this case go to trial. Uh, he can take this case to trial. Um, I think the, the enormous expense mm. involved and, and the stakes for him is that if he's convicted after trial and if he testifies and lies to the judge mm. and he's convicted... Uh, he could be spending the rest of his life in prison and if he pleads guilty he won't spend the rest of his life. I watch you on TV too Gloria you just said uh, (laughs) I do
2: too here and one of the things that John Dean was referring to is you know these crimes that we're talking about you know began well before the campaign although the the scheming and the money laundering and other things that were going on here in the evasion were happening during the campaign and of course Paul Manafort though you know was a central figure in the campaign he was at the Trump Tower meeting Sure. Where where Donald Trump Jr. was promised dirt on Hillary Clinton from Russians.
5: Look, there is something that the special counsel wants from Paul Manafort. We may not know what it is, but he is squeezing him probably for a good reason. I mean, we know that he's interested in the Trump Tower meeting, but we also know that Paul Manafort has relationship uh, with the pro Putin Ukrainian president that goes back quite some time and earned him an awful lot of money. He may be interested in that. He may be interested in the platform at the Republican convention dealing with Ukraine. We're really we really don't know now, but mm-hmm. if you look at people in this campaign who were openly involved with Russia before they came into the campaign, I think you'd have to I think you'd have mm-hmm. to point to to Paul Manafort. So there's got to be something there and I'm on with Two attorneys here who can Mm -hmm. tell us this that there's got to be something there that Mueller is looking for that he believes he needs to get from Manafort. And maybe that's a question of intent. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't I don't know the answer.
2: Well Gates seemed to have been there every step of the way, not just before but during as well. Maybe he knows. Maybe he knows, and that's what the special counsel's offer. John Dean and Watergate, every player had his breaking point. You did, you know, the President Nixon did. Do you believe Manafort will have a breaking point here? Is it inevitable?
9: I agree with Jeffrey. I think he will. At some point he's risking uh, the rest of his life in prison and he's not that young a man. So I I, I think at some point he's got to. And I don't think the pardon is a solution because there are state offenses here as well. Mm -hmm. And he could well Mm -hmm. be charged by Virginia and New York for tax violations uh, that will not solve his problems. Uh, So Uh, there's no quick answer.
2: I will note that Robert Mueller has done something nearly every day in the last week and a half there, so one can only imagine what happens next week here. You know, John Dean, thank you, Gloria. Jeff, stick around. I appreciate it. Coming up, more breaking news. New reporting tonight that Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein gave the White House a heads-up two weeks ago that Jared Kushner's security clearance would be further delayed by what The Washington Post calls significant information requiring additional investigation. We'll hear from the Post reporter who broke this story about what that means next.
1: Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com CNN.
2: Yet more breaking news this Friday night. New reporting that the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein telephoned the White House about two weeks ago to say there were significant information that needed more investigating that could further delay the security clearance for President Trump's son-in-law and senior advisor, Jared Kushner. Joining me is Josh Dossey, part of the team who broke this story for The Washington Post. So Josh, what can you tell us about this phone call between the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and Don McGahn?
10: Sure. The call happened on February 9th, approximately two weeks ago. And in the call, uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein alerted Don McGahn, who is a chief White House lawyer, that there were ongoing issues with Jared Kushner's security clearance and that uh, it would take some time to continue investigating the issues and uh, resolve the matter. Basically, that a decision would not be coming anytime soon. Uh, as your viewers probably know, uh, Rod Rosenstein is uh, the deputy attorney general who oversees the Mueller probe. That is number two of the Justice Department. Intends uh, to only correspond with the White House on on pretty serious issues. So, did the deputy attorney general, did Rod Rosenstein, say exactly what was?
2: being investigating, investigated relating to Kushner, and did he make clear that it was somehow connected to the Mueller investigation?
10: That's in dispute. Uh, Department of Justice officials are saying to us pretty explicitly that he did not delineate the concerns exactly what they were in this call and only gave a kind of top level view that there were problems that still needed uh, it, you know, to be investigated. They don't say problems. They just say issues, mm-hmm. things that come together in the normal process of a security clearance. Uh, the point, though, John, is that 13 months into the administration, uh, Mr. Kushner, who is the president's, uh, one of the top foreign policy advisors, one of the most senior people in the White House, continues to not have a permanent security clearance, mm-hmm. continues, sorry, uh, continues to be under investigation. Uh, and because of that, uh, it is uh, really perplexing mm-hmm. to lots of folks in the law enforcement community and the Mueller probe of of why, why 13 months in, uh, does Jared Kushner not have a clearance?
2: And just in terms of the timing, Josh, it was after this phone call between Rod Rosenstein and the White House that the chief of staff, John Kelly, made the announcement about staffers whose clearances haven't yet been finalized, correct?
10: Right, one week after this phone call, John Kelly uh, finalized a five-page memo, a pretty lengthy and detailed memo, explaining that folks who still did not have a permanent security clearance uh, at this point, who were still operating uh, without one, uh, would no longer, uh, you know, be able to keep their interim security clearance. Uh, and that policy is supposed to go into effect today. Mm. The White House's mom mum on whether Jared Kushner has any special, uh, you know, decree granted. What's going on? All the president said today at his press conference, as you saw, was that decision's up to mm-hmm. John Kelly. John Kelly will do what's right for America. Uh, but John Kelly is also the person who authored the memo uh, about security clearances mm-hmm. that, you know, in the words of a senior White House official we spoke to last week, put a bullseye on Jared Kushner.
2: So, Josh, any comment from the White House or, I suppose, from Jared Kushner's attorney, Abby Lowell, about this new story, the Rod Rosenstein conversation?
10: Abby's declining to comment. The White House is declining to comment. Uh, some of our reporting indicates that Kelly uh, in recent uh, weeks has expressed to folks that he would be happy if Jared Kushner uh, departed the White House, or maybe not happy, Mm. but he would be content that it's caused a lot of problems, that he has this uh, interesting dual role of family member and staffer, and that's problematic. Uh, So there's definitely some tensions there between uh, Jared Kushner and John Kelly. Uh, I've I've been pretty documented at this point. The White House is saying they never speak about security clearances, uh, but I will make clear that in the course of our reporting, no one at DOJ or the White House disputed that this call happened and that Jared Kushner's clearance came up on this call.
2: Josh Dossie, thanks for your reporting. Thanks for your time. Just ahead, we'll have more on this security clearance controversy with our panel. Also coming up, in the aftermath of the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting, a Republican congressman from Florida, an Army vet who lost both legs in combat, says he supports a ban on assault weapons. I'll talk to him about that next.
9: I'm Andy Cass with March Madness
1: 365 and on this edition of our show I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus
10: Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game just being able to be more offensive throwing the ball different ways shooting the ball I think that's improved and uh, just my playmaking ability as well
0: subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify
2: all right, we're talking about new reporting by the Washington Post, also CNN, on the warning the White House got just two weeks ago about ongoing issues to do with Jared Kushner's security clearance. Joining us, CNN legal analyst Corey, Corey Cordero, and back with us, Gloria Borger and Jeffrey Tubin. You know, Jeffrey Tubin, Rod Rosenstein now is a key player in many dramas surrounding this White House. Of course, he oversees the Mueller investigation. And now, this phone call for the deputy attorney general to call the White House and say, hey, we got a problem that's not going
7: away with the president's son in law. Is no small thing. It's no small thing, but it all comes under the ambit of why nepotism is a bad idea. Why is he still working in the White House? Why does he work there in the first place? Because if he were a normal employee, he'd be out on his behind a long time ago. I mean, 13 months to get a security clearance is too long. That's not how the system is supposed to work. But you can't fire the president's son-in-law because the president doesn't want to get rid of him. So you have this ridiculous situation of the the president's son-in-law supposedly leading our our, our negotiations in the Middle East, which is nothing but classified information with the CIA and National Security Agency, and he doesn't have a security clearance because they don't trust him. It's just an absurd situation. He reads the Daily Brief almost every day.
2: No. We're, to, we're told he's requested more classified information and background information than nearly anyone in the White House. Gloria, you know, and then he's in the midst of this sort of Shakespearean drama mm-hmm. with John Kelly. Where do things stand there?
5: <laughs> well, they're not close, uh, I would have to say. Uh, John Kelly is uh, somebody that Jared and Ivanka wanted to. Uh, to get the position of chief of staff. But in my reporting, it seems to me that they've grown more and more distant. They wouldn't be sad to see him go. He wouldn't be sad to see them go. Uh, And the president has dumped this entire thing in Kelly's lap, giving him kind of a, a, a hint today. Well, I'm sure John Kelly will do the right thing. Jared is so valuable. Well, what does that mean? It means that the president, precisely because of Jeffrey's reason, the guy is married to his daughter, doesn't want to sort of publicly flog the guy, so he's putting it in Kelly's lap, and um, of course, the president, in the end, it's his decision. And if the president says, in the end, I want him to have this kind of clearance— Kelly will have to salute.
2: Yeah, I'm sure he'll do the right thing. Sounds like Tom Hagen going to Freddie Pandangeli <laughs> in Godfather 2 saying, I'm sure you'll do the right thing. Kerry, <laughs> just to be crystal clear, 13 months for a security clearance is not normal. They can take a while. They don't take this long. And when they do take this long, if they do, it tells you something.
11: It's a long time. 13 months is a long time, particularly for somebody who's in such a senior position for White House officials or for senior officials in the other parts of the executive branch. Normally, by now, the uh, full level clearance would come through and you wouldn't be dealing with this issue. The phone call from Brad Rosenstein to the White House counsel, though, I- I'll point out one good thing about it. It actually shows that there is a proper channel of communication taking place between the mm-hmm. Justice Department and the White House, right. which was... Is something that we were not seeing early in the administration. But there's one, I'll give you at least two reasons um, why his clearance could still be hung up at, at this point. One reason could be that the ongoing investigation in somehow is related to the broader Russia investigation being conducted by the special counsel's office. Or there are other issues unrelated to the special counsel's investigation, probably which relate to Mr. Kushner's extensive financial entanglements that involve foreign lenders or other uh, financial debt-related issues, financial issues and debt being a major issue in security clearance adjudication. So there could be a couple different explanations for why his clearance is taking so long. But at this point, it seems unlikely that it actually will come through in a way that a normal clearance would. And so then that raises the question, which is, is there any other senior official in the executive branch or in the White House whose clearance has not come through at this time, who has the same level of access to highly classified information as Jared Kushner? And if the answer to that is no then the only reason that he continues to have this access is because of his relationship mm-hmm. with the president and as a member of the family. And that's not the way that the American government is supposed to work.
2: In the White House, will flat out not tell us who else does or does not have clearance. They say they won't discuss that right. issue. You know, Jeffrey Kerry brought up sort of this, the, the big issue here, which is, is Mueller, is the Mueller investigation connected to this? Josh Doss, who I talked to just a moment ago, he said they can't really tell. They're not exactly sure. That wasn't clear yet from their reporting, but that would be a big deal.
7: Of course it would be a big deal, but, you know, security clearances are an on-off switch. You either have one or or you don't. And, you know, it is worth also remembering that on on a day when the president was speaking at CPAC and for old time's sake the crowd was chanting, lock lock her up, uh, about Hillary Clinton, the whole accusation of Hillary Clinton was that she was not treating classified information appropriately. What about this? What, here we have someone with access to the most classified, seriously important classified information. He doesn't have a security clearance. How about that for uh, inappropriate treatment well, of, of classified information?
5: And, and, and Jeffrey, if you had to amend your form, I mean, I remember doing it like the first story on this last April, I believe, on Jared Kushner's SF-86 form, which he initially filed. They said it was... Purely a mistake, uh, without any without any disclosure of foreign meetings on it, and then you had to amend it multiple times, and then you are now uh, part of the of the Mueller investigation. We know that Jared Kushner had to testify on Michael Flynn, for example, and CNN has reported this week that part of the the you know part of the problem that he's got. Is the Mueller investigation not all of the problem, but, you know, why would he get why would he get clearance? And if he can, if he if he can't get clearance, then can he do his job?
2: We will have to keep asking the White House. <laughs> Good that question. question. We, we will keep asking the White House that question. Whether or not we'll get a straight answer is a, is a different story. All right. Thanks, everyone. Busy night. It's not over yet. Next, he said he'd take action to stop the next school shooting and promised to win over the National Rifle Association. But now that the NRA is opposing a part of his plan, the president's no longer talking about it. We're keeping them honest in what seems to be a tale of two Trumps.
7: Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current YES analyst, Richard Jefferson, on Bleacher Reports, The
10: Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of life. All I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it.
7: The full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Anderson asked a question last night in the wake of the Parkland tragedy. Would President Trump be able to do what some have suggested that only he could? Could he craft a set of reforms that might prevent another Parkland and either persuade the National Rifle Association to get on board or push to pass legislation in spite of the NRA? Or would he instead bend to the gun lobby that spent $31 million to help put him in office? At Wednesday's listening session of the White House, surrounded by the families of Parkland and other mass killings, the president suggested that he alone could fix it.
4: Unlike for many years where... People sitting in my position did not take action. They didn't take proper action. They took no action at all. We're going to take action. Action, including raising the minimum age
2: for rifle sales, which is not insignificant.
9: But uh,
4: in addition to everything else, in addition to what we're going to do about background checks, we're going to go very strong into age, age of purchase.
2: A day later, yesterday, raising the minimum age was still part of the president's
4: plan. I mean, we're talking about uh, rules and regulations for purchasing. We're talking about changing an age from 18 to 21. We're talking about common sense. And it's a great thing. And the NRA will, will back it. I really feel very confident the NRA will back it. And so will Congress. And so will the Senate.
2: Now, keeping them honest, by the time he said that, the NRA had already come out against it, issuing a statement the night before. They are against raising the age. Now, maybe this tells us that at that time, at least, the president was willing to fight the NRA on this specific point. Maybe he would say, on this point, we disagree. Maybe. Another possibility, maybe he just didn't know where the NRA stood when he said those things. Either way, yesterday was the last time he mentioned raising the age. Instead, speaking today at the Conservative Political Action Conference, he was all about hardening schools, mental health, and this.
4: Well-trained, gun-adept teachers and coaches and people that work in those buildings, people that were in the Marines for 20 years and retired, people in the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Coast Guard, people that are adept, adept... With weaponry and with guns. They teach. I mean, I don't want to have a hundred guards standing with rifles all over the school. You do a concealed carry permit.
2: He said much the same this afternoon, standing next to Australia's prime minister. Nothing about age restrictions, nothing on Twitter either. The question is, and in fairness, it could be too soon to tell, did he just forget? Did he leave it out by accident, or is he now bending to the NRA? Or maybe he's just bending to reality, that lawmakers, many but not all of them Republicans, are already taking the same position as the NRA. Late today, John Cornyn, the Senate's second-ranking Republican, signals his opposition to raising the age to 21. Focus on other things, he says. Now, Florida's governor, Rick Scott, appears to be going in the opposite direction. He now says he wants the minimum age raised, a sign perhaps of changing times, and here's another. A Florida Republican congressman, an Army combat veteran, now says he supports a ban on future purchases of AR-15 style weapons, assault weapons. His powerful piece in the New York Times opinion page is headlined, I'm Republican, I appreciate assault weapons, and I support a ban. Congressman Brian Mast joins us now. Congressman, thank you so much for being with us. It's an interesting discussion. Why this change of heart? Why now?
0: Look, when I was on the battlefield and I saw an opportunity to save a life, I didn't have a conversation about it. I acted. That's the way we do it on the battlefield. That's what makes sense. It's common sense, and that's what needs to happen here. So you're saying that banning AR-15 weapons is a chance to save a life. I believe that. That's why I came out and said this. You know, I look at the platform that I carried, an M4 carbine, very similar to an AR-15. I was carrying that weapon on the battlefield in the most dangerous country on earth for one reason, because of its lethality. It was the best weapon that the Army could give me to go out there and make sure that I could eliminate our enemies. I can honestly say that my community and my kids in our schools... I don't think that they're made safer by the, the general population of civilians having unfettered access to the best weapon the Army could put in my hand to go out there and kill our
2: enemies. Your colleagues asked the question, though, why take this out of responsible gun owners' hands? Why take this from the, the well-trained, adept gun users who obey the law and want to use an AR-15-style weapon for target practice?
0: I love the the well-trained gun owner, the responsible gun owner. I am one. I'm a rabid concealed carry guy. I usually carry a 9mm, and I think that's one of the most important points about this. I carry a 9mm because I don't want to die because of a lack of shooting back one day. That's why I carry one. But I can go out there and look at this honestly as a person that's done threat assessment and say, you know what, if somebody's coming after me with an AR-15, maximum effective range of easily 300 meters, certainly a great range of 50 to 150 meters my max range with my nine millimeter maybe 20 25 meters you know maybe probably not 30 meters on a good day i'm not going to have that opportunity to defend myself and uh you know so it's just in that that i think it's a common sense approach because we're not concealing and carrying ar-15s you know the supreme court uh, has
2: said that y- yes you know americans have the right to bear arms but not the right to bear any and all arms what do you mean
0: And, uh, you know, I think that's an important point. We don't have unlimited access to the automatic weapons that I carry down the battlefield. I can't go out there and get a, a, a SAW automatic weapon. I can't go out there and get hand grenades or an AT4 rocket launcher or a law rocket. These are things that I can't get. We, don't, we, we respect that the Second Amendment is a God-given right, that right to defend mm-hmm. ourselves. It's, it's unimpeachable, but it doesn't mean every single arm. Let me ask you very quickly
2: on Florida Governor Rick Scott and also this debate at the national level about raising the minimum age you can purchase really all
0: firearms to
2: 21. Do you support that?
0: I will absolutely support raising that age. Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that we can do, whether it's looking at add-ons that go onto weapons that try to circumvent the law for things that, you know, we're not supposed to have automatic weapons, that being a ban, Uh, whether we're looking at all of the things relating to to mental illness. And, uh, you know, here in Florida, we have the Baker Act, but you can get Baker acted for, you know, saying that you want to, voices are telling you to kill people. And then right after you get out of your 72-hour confinement, they're going to hand you your weapons back. That's a very, serious issue. We got to look at all of the failures that exist with the, you know, existed Mm -hmm. with the FBI and all of the things at the local level. You have to look at school Mm -hmm. security and making sure, you know, in my schools here in Martin County, Florida, where I'm sitting right now, they know that I'm Congressman Brian Mask. But when I walk up to the window in their office, they still make me show a a piece of identification before they let me in the door. We can't be letting people just walk in. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things beyond that that we can do. But I'm going to be supporting, you know, these measures if that means that we can save a life. I'm never going to regret saving a life.
2: Congressman Mass, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for your service. Appreciate it. Thank you. Up next, new charges filed late today against former Trump campaign chair Paul Manafort in a guilty plea from former campaign aide the deputy chair Rick Gates The latest on what we're learning and what Gates might be saying to prosecutors when 360
1: continues.